Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Success is your worst enemy because once you start getting one right, two right, you think you're, you, you got everything. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each and every week, you'll learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts, entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn why you should add a clearance section to your store, how to take advantage of critical reviews, and why success can be your worst enemy. Today, I'm joined by Robert and Carlos of Source Vape. Source Vape sells high-quality vaporizer equipment and accessories and was started in 2013 and based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome, Robert and Carlos. Thank you for having us here. Thank you, Felix. So I don't know much about vaporizers. Can you explain a little bit about how your product is different than what the competitors were offering at the time? Uh, at the time, it was revolutionary. It was the first time that had uh, double coils, uh, new airflow design. Uh, and, and from there, that's, um, that's where we got the idea of instead of releasing multiple vaporizers like other companies do uh, and having the customer have to repurchase a different vaporizer or a different full kit every single time. Um, we can just uh, sell different atomizer styles. Basically, uh, you can call it, I guess, the brain or the engine of the orb, basically what powers it, uh, what what deals with the e-juice, uh, and just keep releasing new new versions of it. So we we... We did that with our four series line last year, um, and, and basically expanded it to having full cross compatibility within our products. So if somebody goes and says, uh, buys it or for last year, this year, when we release new products, new atomizers, they don't have to go in and repurchase everything else like everyone else. They just go in and have the new atomizer. Uh, and then, then on top of that stores. Uh, because that's a big, uh, big factor of what we grew our business into, uh, distribution also of our unique products is, uh, stores like it because it's a, it's a, it's a great upsell item. Uh, the more, the more options you have, uh, for the customer to keep coming and repurchasing, the better it is. That makes sense. So can you say a little bit more about how it is a, an upsell item that, that, that you're selling as well? Yeah, of course. Um, so, for instance, here, here's the thing. Um, our product range is um, from $10, uh, not including our sales section. We always have a sales section with our old products. Uh, but all the way from $9.95, $10 basically, to our latest product, which is $250, right? Four different product lines, basically, and multiple atomizer configurations. So, in comparison to other uh, companies that are in our own market and industry, one per, and then come back maybe from atomizer replacements. Maybe the they have two or three. Most likely they have like one sometimes, uh, and then they'll come out with another product maybe next year. Uh, so you get that customer to purchase that one product, and like I said, maybe one two atomizers within the next six months. So on average, that product price will be about eighty dollars, and then that atomizer is about twenty bucks. So that customer value lifetime is about a hundred bucks on average tops at 120 if you're really pushing all of your customers to purchase two uh within you know year year and a half us though is completely different actually doubles 
and get that lifetime value up to like $200. Uh, and then that way, you every time you acquire a customer and hopefully you get a few of them up to that 20%, you get more money rather than trying to make a big, uh, you know, uh, low profit item with not much repurchase rate from our customers. Our main focus is always repurchase rate. How can we get more customers back and how can we get more money uh, into our stores' hands, basically. Got it. So how, how are the competitors doing it differently where they don't have an upsell component to their, their product lines? Well, the thing is, um, uh, on, on, on average in our industry, I'm going to say 90%, 90%, 80% of all competing uh, companies, uh, you know, with all the respect, are just basically uh, copies. Of each other, mm-hmm. um, there's very little innovation in our market, um, other than a few of us. Um, we went ahead and basically had a product idea uh, and, and, and blueprint to basically, and we did this quietly to make sure that we basically, I guess you can say, snuck up uh, mm-hmm. on everybody. And basically, by the time this is all out, it's too late for the catch up. Um, but like I said, when you have competing products, since they didn't think about this atomizer replacement mm. function, um, they, they can't do it. They physically can't do it. And now they're stuck, uh, in, in these ecosystems that unless they literally reset all of their product line and come out with a new product, which will abandon all their old customers, uh, they, they just physically cannot. Got it. So from the get-go, you have a product that can accept a, a component, which is the atomizer, so that when you so that an entire like a system of products works with each other, which is not how your competitors are doing. Competitors are selling almost like I guess a closed system where you have to buy everything all at once and doesn't have the ability to add on additional components. And in your case, this is the the coilless, the five coilless atomizers that that, that you sell. Yes, actually, uh, our new product, uh, the, like I, I would say, uh, the, the way we explain it to people is uh, the thinking the thinking behind our products is kind of like an iPhone and even mm-hmm. an iPad. So I want when you have an iPhone, it just does everything for you. So when whenever I see and whenever even we see another uh, another product on the market that does something, uh, we basically want to incorporate that either equally or better than that. So. Compared to everyone else, it's kind of like Apple. You can just be an amoeba uh, and, and add all this with our 4 Series 9. And then we made our Excel series that is basically like an iPad that can play, that can work with the smaller atomizers, but also just the large ones. So at, at, at the biggest, uh, which is our source nail, it can work with up to 30 different atomizers. So that, that's the main thing that we did. And I would recommend to anyone listening to is if 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 you're getting anything um, mass produced, made from China, good pricing, good quality, good branding, that's great. But end of the day, there's always a bigger fish. So the only solution to start helping you is to design exclusive products, and if you can get them patented, because that's what we did with our system and all the new atomizers. And once you start doing that, then you you basically defend your you know you you got a patent, you got a you got a brand got a, a whole system that is not easy to penetrate and beat uh, because if you just keep you know basically calling China and then so or you know another factory emails you again and says oh check it out we got this new thing 
you know, it's, it's, it's you and uh, a couple of hundred thousand people, uh, a couple of hundred or thousand people that got the same email. Right. And you're one of the ones that answers. That's like, what, what do they probably get? 1% conversion rate from Chinese. So you're going to get maybe five, 10 companies that have the same thing. So it's only a matter of time until you all die out because the, the person that has the power too is your manufacturer. And they'll always undercut you once they are still running out of money. Right. So you're saying that when you, if you are not creating your own products, you eventually you're getting some kind of pricing war where you're all just fighting for the same piece of pie. Now, when you sit down and originally designed this system, how do you think about the product design differently if you want to create a whole system that, that works with each other and then is also uh, possible to support future uh, features, essentially? We just started it with our, our, our source orb, and, and to be honest, a lot of it, a, a lot of the, the the reason we've been able to survive because our uh, our market, uh, you know, E six and uh, all, all the markets that we are is. I remember I, I read a quote from uh, another entrepreneur in our industry who said, "In in our industry, six six weeks is the equivalent of six months. Uh, it moves so quickly." And you'll have companies come and go within six months interval that you think it's been like two, three years. So the main thing we've been able to survive and the best thing we did is we're flexible and we maneuver quickly. So sometimes it ruffles feathers with our distributors and wholesalers because we come out with a product three, four months in. We're like, hey, we already got a new version. Uh, we're always work very well with all of our exclusive distribution partners. Anytime, you know, they have older stock, we'll take it back. We'll replace it with the new ones. But the main thing is, is basically trying to follow. Um, basically, um, we, we had a blueprint, but you have to be flexible. If, if you're very rigid, if you said, I need to do this, uh, you might break. So a lot of times we've had to uh, change our ideas or product development or product releases uh, just to be able to move and, and react to the market quicker. Can you, can you say more about flexibility? I think this is a really important point that you're making. How do you add flexibility into your company? Sometimes I'm, I'm uh, you, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm the one that designs most of the products, like the internals. And sometimes I'm adamant about certain things. Like I wanted to make a premium kit of our Orb XL because uh, I liked it, you know? Uh, and I remember what, um, Walt Disney said this is you're not, you're not building things for yourself. You're building it for other people. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll shoot out this idea and the, this, our distribution partners will say, you know what? We prefer travel kits. And, you know, for a night I'll like groan and like, but then think about actually think about what everyone says. A lot of entrepreneurs, uh, I know they said this on Shark Tech is, is, is success is your worst enemy. Because once you start getting one right, two right, you think you're, you, you got everything right. Mm -hmm. But every time someone would say something, even if at the beginning you're like, oh, you, you just got to think about it. So sometimes I, I literally nix products uh, just on a conversation with two distributors. And even though we're moving on it, we're like, you know, it's not a great idea. And sometimes I'm talking to a distributor. Uh, and actually, this happened with our three series line right now, which is our budget line. Um, I was with... Uh, one of, one of the top salespeople at our uh, distributor out of nowhere sends me an email and says, Hey, we have inquiries for uh, products of, of this competing product. I know you guys can make it better. What do you think? 
And it's a, it was a low, lower price, more budget friendly. And I literally got off the phone and said, do you want to revive our three series line? We already had the four, four series out. Do you want to revive the three series line? I can make it for you immediately, release it at these price points and basically beat out these competitors. Within 48 hours, we already had uh, uh, three different products designed and already in production because that's what they wanted. So this, this goes back to your other point about how you're able to maneuver quickly. Now, how do you set up your company so that you can also act quickly on these kind of opportunities? We keep it slim. That's, that's the main thing we do. Uh, we keep a small, uh, small group of people, uh, very small overhead, like miniature. More than anything, is uh, we, we keep an active connection with our uh, user base and fans. Uh, we also changed the way we, we released products. Uh, we started doing with our Excel series products, releasing atomizers first before, uh, full kits. So, uh, that way we could see which ones were the most popular rather than our assumption of what we think should be the most popular. And then afterwards made kits from that. So that, that's, that's how, that's, that's mainly how we do it. Um, anything like that too. We also have our clearance section, which uh, especially if any of you guys that have uh, multiple products, uh, especially older products, a great thing to have is just a clearance section. It won't help. Uh, it won't hurt your uh, retail prices if you're wholesaling um, if it's older products, but it really brings in that budget uh, purchaser that can then basically turn. You can turn it into somebody who comes in for the budget and then comes into a loyal uh, converts to a loyal lifetime customer. Right. Now, how do you decide what gets sent to the clearance section? Uh, any, any, anything uh, not current. So you would never sell like the Source Orb 3 and the Source Orb 4 together? Or I'm not sure if that's a good example or not, but you would never sell a quote-unquote outdated version of a product? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, out, out, outdated version. So for instance, we have right now the Orb 3 pre- Prem 2 kit, which is Premium 2. So the Premium 1 is on the clearance section for 50% off. So we have new nail attachments, which are $70 retail, but with the older glass, so they're half off. Mm-hmm. So in going with the flexibility, um, this actually happened as with our Source Orb 4. When we first launched it, it's magnetic. Um, and we tested it, we used it. Uh, but one of the things that we really, you know, that, uh, that happens is when you release a product, you can test it and use it however many times you want. but um, most of the people that are testing it are involved in the in the design or use of it or previous users. So they tend to be a little bit more educated on how to use it. So when you actually release a product to the mass, they'll basically go through the the paces and do do things you never thought about it. So the magnet would fall off in your pocket. We figured if you make the atomizers twice as long, the magnet will stay put. So we literally had to change gears, switch gears manufacture these atomizers twice the size and then all the short ones uh which now fit for other products we basically put those at 50 percent off so that way you can have a especially us that we're a premium brand you have a premium brand pricing uh and everything and all the value that comes with it but then you also have that great great clearance section at 50 percent off so you you also stave off uh you know in our market there's a lot of competition like i said a lot of chinese competitors for you know the lower quality products so you you compete in the clearance section 
by having s- something, I guess, older or lower quality or, and even, uh, you know, even keep producing older quality, you know, like older products, like, Hey, you know, there's still more glass that we can do that is, uh, that is older. Hey, keep selling it because you'll, you'll basically fight off all, 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 all the lower priced people before they even get to you. Got it. And the idea behind that as well is that you can win these budget conscious, uh, customers through the clearance section and then maybe later when they are more willing to invest in in buying uh, better equipment or more updated equipment they'll come back to you because they've been a past customer already yes and actually we uh we we have a staying around here that are not only that but our our everything in our clearance section must be better than every competitor's product out there so not even like the cheap products that you just find on ebay our clearance section must be better than our full price, quote unquote, premium brands, in which which we do. So we always try to keep something there. That basically, every other competitor, you can get it for fifty percent off from us and ten. Mm-hmm. Got it. Now this all goes back to, to we were just saying earlier. Goes back to the the idea that you can maneuver quickly, you can produce new products quickly, so you can keep on advancing your product line, and you're able to do this is because you're keeping things lean. Based on what you've seen, either in in other competitors or even in other industries, where do you think that there are some places that you guys have decided have gone lean, where other entrepreneurs might want to take a hard look at to trim some of the fat? You know, some of the things that we do. Is, um, don't, uh, we look at the, at the labor market, the taxation, uh, and also the adding of multiple, uh, team members. A lot of companies basically just go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to make it. Let me rent out this warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they care a lot too on, uh, on, uh, what they look like. Let me, let me pay for the office. Let me get this. Like, you can always trim costs. The, you know, one of the main reasons we're in, in, uh, in Las Vegas, we're actually, uh, we start in Las Vegas. We're actually based out of Pahrump now. Uh, but one of the main reasons we are in Nevada and now in Pahrump is that the taxes. Now, Nevada has no income tax, especially for corporate. Uh, and you know, we were in Las Vegas, but Clark County started taxing. So we literally moved to Pahrump. Uh, you know, we ship out of Benzonia in, in, in Michigan. Uh, so while all, a lot of our uh, competitors turn around and say, you know, I, I distribute from LA, that's great. But then you're paying California taxes, uh, California minimum wage, uh, you know, uh, everything else. You're not even counting all the LA taxes, everything else. So for us, it's better to make strategic partnerships with, uh, distributors in certain areas, uh, especially larger distributors, uh, but that's one of the things we focus on. It's, it's, it's not basically growing to something that the less things you actually have to pay uh, in case sales basically drop off. That's the main thing. You want you want to be as lean as possible so that later on you're not just ballooned up and just can't even keep the lights on. Got it. So you've mentioned distributors a couple of times now. They've been able to, of course, get your products out there and also provide very valuable feedback on what the market wants. How did you find your distributors to work with? We went to uh, the the best. Uh, Robert and I started selling uh, vaporizers before uh, for another company for his for another company he had. Uh, so we had some connections that I uh, when I was doing sales for him for these uh, top distributors, but. I basically, you call them up, you know, they always, uh, I always laugh about this in Shark Tank. They ask some people like, you know, like, have you called Whole Foods? Have you called this? Especially when they have a, 
hot product. And they're like, oh, no, you know, I just don't know how to get a hold of them. <laughs> you go ahead and you literally do not stop. I'll, I'll never forget. I was calling Vape World, which is another uh, distributor we used to work with before we went exclusive with another one. But I literally uh, on the phone nonstop, you know, what's going on? What's going on? Who can I talk to? Like three, four months, but you just you have to keep going. And if your product, your service or yourself are good enough, you will close the deal. Got it. And how do you usually work with uh, once once you've established a relationship with the distributor and are working together? Like, what's actually being done? Like, how do you actually work with this distributor on a day to day basis? Uh, well, it, it's it's uh, simpler than that. We just um, we signed an uh, exclusive agreement uh, with two of them, two in, two here, two can, uh, two in the U.S., two in Canada. Um, told them, hey, these are the price points. You can't go lower. We won't sell to anybody else. Uh, you can't carry certain brands that compete with us. Uh, we signed a, you know, long contract, like you have to promote us these many times. Uh, and then they just turn around and, uh, distribute to their network. You know, our, one of our partners has, uh, I think over, uh, 1500, uh, brick and mortar stores that they sell to. So they basically just turn around, send you a PO, buy it, then they go and sell it. You know, so it's, uh, I recommend anybody, if, if you have a chance to go into a distributor and it's not somebody who's going to, you know, let's, let's say have big returns or give you a net 90, anything like that. It's always good because, uh, you could make more money. And, uh, we've talked about it here. We could make more money if we literally just started doing wholesale ourselves, the profit margin. But most people don't then, uh, anticipate the cost with doing that in order to have a wholesale, wholesale team. You need to have dedicated salespeople. Then you're basically growing what we're talking about later, uh, the overhead, you know, and later on, uh, you know, if wholesale is, uh, is weak in, in March, right? You've got all these wholesale people. You still got to pay that day. You know what I'm saying? In that whole month. So you got to pay each one, what, 90 K. So is your profit margin really going to be that much higher than turn around and saying, Hey, Distributors, you're making 30%. You're, I'm making 30% less profit, but here you go. Handle it. You move it. You have a dedicated salespeople and you already have the stores. It's, 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 it's much easier and it's, uh, it's specializing at what everyone's best at. Right. So you're moving this potential overhead cost of having in-house wholesale, you know, uh, workers into more of a variable cost by having these distributors that work outside your company. Yes, yes. And you know, and, uh, we, we like, uh, we like connection daily. We, we like a lot of, uh, uh, working, for, uh, most of our, all of our team, uh, doesn't work at, at an actual, you know, other than warehouse, um, customer service team, uh, th they just work remotely. So what we like is, it's kind of like you said, wholesale things like that is adding, adding people, actual humans to your system brings downfalls like there's there's upsides to it and downfalls and and that's what i'm saying like one of the downfalls is uh you get a great wholesale person you get a great salesperson he's killing it but you got to pay for his gas you got to pay for something and then what happens when he's sick what yeah. happens when he's got a baby or you know they got higher aspirations and they want to get another job you end up being tied to people's other people's lives do you know what i'm saying so right. it's it's much easier to just we like to rely on systems and computers so we do shopify shopify connects to apps 
like stitch labs. Stitch labs connects the ship station. Shipping's done automatically. Instead of having a person having to do it, instead of having a, uh, we connect the Zendesk. Zendesk automatically goes and uh, connects all of the omni-channel uh, ways to for customers to connect with us, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, email, uh, phone, and everything you have it documented and easily systematized. So that way, uh, at the end of the day, what most entrepreneurs are trying to do is, one, pay the bills, but two, most likely have an exit plan. And the main way to have an exit plan and have someone say, come in and say, you know what, this is a great business. Here's a, you know, here's a couple of mil. Uh, we'll buy it up is for them to be able to, to basically come in and be replace you. So if they come in and you're doing everything or we have all these, you know, employees and everything like that. And all these people are indispensable. It adds a lot of, uh, hurdles to people. So they prefer being able to basically do a tur- turnkey business. This is all how it works. Uh, you know, it all runs itself. Uh, these people, uh, when you hire them, we already have a system on how they get trained. They follow this script. These are the answers already pre-programmed. And if one of them needs to be replaced, it's easily replaced within a day or two. Things like that. Mm-hmm. We like our, uh, our, our, the company to basically not rely even on my, whenever I'm doing things, uh, anything important like that, I literally make a video of it, uh, record the screen, uh, and we document it. So then, then our manager can go ahead and copy it. And then she can easily show it to all the people when they train. So you want to make it. This is one of the things I, I again, I worked at Disney. The one of the things you want to do is you want to make everything so systematized that you can easily dip in and out, uh, whether it's uh, vacation, anything like that selling. You want to make it as systemized as possible. Got it. So you, going back to the idea of having this distributor, you're basically paying into a system. So rather than having uh, an employee, you are buying into a system that if someone that the distributor is sick or you know leaves a company, they have a system in place already, you've purchased into it so that it already has someone to pick it up or they already have a process to pick it all up so you don't have to worry about individuals. You already bought into a system that can replace individuals as they come and go or any change, you know, the other changes essentially happen. Now, when you are looking for a distributor for anyone else out there that is not this sounding very attractive to them, what are some things to pay attention to when you sit down with a distributor to hash out a contract? Like what are some key terms that that you think is are really important to keep a uh, or to focus on? Uh, you want to you want to make sure you uh, one of the things you really want to stick on, and I think most novice entrepreneurs will do this. You you really want to stick to uh, being able to uh, first off your clauses, you know, breaches a contract, anything like that. Have it so that you if if, if they break the contract, if they do anything in bad faith, you can either get uh you know money back or be able to break the contract and go someone else. But one of the big things you want to do is uh, a minimum advertised price uh, ag- agreement. Uh, do not, do not, do not sign a contract unless you can, you, you've basically told them you cannot display our product or, you know, basically print or sell our product for lower than this, even wholesale, distributor, retail, whatever it is. Because uh, there's been multiple companies, there was actually a distributor uh, in, in, in Costa Mesa, they actually went out of business because, of course, they do business like this, but ba- people that do bad faith, they, uh, they purchased, uh, a bunch of products from, uh, this company that sold grinders and, uh, good quality grinders, but then they had a lot of stock and, uh, 
you know, they, they weren't selling. They wanted lower price from the grinder company. And they're like, you know, well, we, we can't. It's, uh, you know, this is our price point. So they turned around and said, fine, we're not going to carry you anymore. And uh, they're like, that's cool. And to liquidate their stock, they went ahead and printed on their catalogs liquidation pricing of the grinders. And you know what happens when you have anything wholesale uh, at a lower price that stores see? Stores are basically, their job is run a business. So they're looking to get the cheapest possible. This isn't like a customer. A customer will oversee if they saw a cheaper price, they already have a, a product. Stores turned around mm. and basically all of them said, I can get it for this price. I want it for this price or I'm not buying it from you. And from there on onward, it's printed. So people now thought, basically had the idea that that is the new price point. Case in point, the grinder company went out of business because now your whole business is, uh, and, and, and price points are, are, are destroyed. So they basically tanked out their own product and, and, and bottomed out their market just because they weren't going to uh, carry the product anymore. And that, I think, is the most dangerous thing because, uh, you know, if, if, if you say you have to purchase my products, this is my minimum advertised price, and they turn around, they're not selling. You know, you can always have a clause, you know, if you're not selling this much, uh, you know, we can we can dip out. Uh, but that one won't hurt you long term. You lose time, whatever. But if somebody turns around and undercuts you, especially one of your distributors, you 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 could potentially just l lose your business completely. Wow. Yeah, definitely sounds like a very fatal mistake that could could happen from the beginning of your your relationship with the distributor. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have gone exclusive uh, with the distributors uh, in the U.S. and in Canada. What's the uh, the benefit uh, behind going exclusive with a distributor? When everybody cares, you know, there, there's a saying: when everyone's special, no one's special. <laughs> so, if you're in uh, three different distributors, you know. Just to give an example, I guess a uh, better example. If you're a product and you go to Target, you go to Walmart, and all these people are like, sure, I'll carry you. That's fine. They go ahead and carry you, and they put you on the aisle, and you're just like everyone else. Hopefully, you'll sell just on your own brand alone, etc. If you go ahead and then tar Target turns around and says, I want you exclusive, the distributor and or Target, whatever, now thinks they're special. And since they only have it, they put you front and center. So if you can find someone, even if it's a little bit smaller, but they go ahead and give you basically the VIP treatment, it's much, much, much better to make an exclusive partnership like that because then you benefit not only from the sales, but the, the marketing and their expertise to basically push you because now they, they tie their growth to you. So it, it's, you basically became symbiotic. And it also, I guess you can say, as a, as a dead man switch gives you a, a, a symbiotic relationship where they are now tied to your growth. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of safety knowing that one, it better be a good distributor, but two, if they are, you have to, you, I mean, if, as long as you focus on yourself, which is making good products and good branding, you will be successful because they will be successful and you are their, you know, their golden child. I would just add on that with the distributors as well. Getting inside a couple exclusive distributors doesn't really block you from other distributors that are out there because they may sub-distribute to them, them as well. So our distributors are sub-distributing the product to others. So you still end up getting a lot more locations, but on our end too, on the operational end, ends up being less work, less things to deal with, less orders to deal with. 
and they kind of handle distributing to other distributors. Got it. So you work with just a select few people and they do the rest of the job of getting it out to, to more folks like these sub-distributors. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about the systems that you guys have created. What would you say are is maybe the number one uh, aspect of your business that you've systematized that has had the biggest impact on the success of your business? Uh, customer service. I'm gonna, uh, I think uh, both customer service and actually uh, uh, inventory and stock uh, sales, uh, customer service, thanks to Zendesk, uh, and, uh, the inventory and customer service management on basically what we call our brain, quote unquote, uh, which is stitch labs. Uh, but basically those two, uh, just make things much, much easier. We used to just have a, uh, uh, anybody listening, go get a Zendesk account. Uh, I think it's free, whatever, um, or, or something like will likely like it, like it. But we used to just have people email us and then you sit there and you got to respond every single email. It takes 10 times more. You don't know what the customer said earlier, everything like that. You want things as much, uh, you know, connected as possible. But those two things have been the best things we've, uh, we, we've done so far business-wise. And I would say for systemization, another thing that's really helped is doing the recording of the videos. Most of them we use Ice Cream Screen Recorder, which is like just a basic desktop app. And the thing is, you'll see a lot of people that are starting out companies, they end up retraining people over and over again for the same job. Someone new comes in and you're sitting there on the computer. A lot of people are doing share screens over and over again, but there's really no reason to do that. If it can all be done on the computer, record what it is. And it used to be we have to train an agent. It would take a couple of weeks. Now an agent comes in. If someone new comes in, they sit there, they watch the videos for a few days and they know most of it. And that systematization of the videos and, and really relying more on videos than sitting there and doing in-person training takes a lot of load off the system, takes a lot of load off the team leads, and uh, isn't just another easy systemization. Love it. So another automation that I see added to your site is with uh, the Yacht Pole reviews, which uh, I believe sends out automated email to your customer after they've purchased or at a set interval and asks them for review. And you guys have over 7,000 certified reviews now on your site. What, what has, uh, how did you, how did you, I guess, begin soliciting or begin encouraging customers to come write reviews? Because 7,000 is amazing, helps with the SEO, helps with, of course, uh, the, the the trust factor for, for new customers when they're visiting. So how were you able to get over 7,000 reviews on your site? You know, uh, John Lasseter from Pixar always said, uh, the best marketing is to make a great product. And that's how we started. And to be perfectly honest, we started putting up uh, reviews once we had uh, a great product. Because your first, your, your, your first launch of anything, even to this day, even our newer products, you will always have bugs. You know, the, the guy from LinkedIn, LinkedIn always says, if you, uh, if you release, if your product is perfect and you love your product, uh, you release too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's what happened at the beginning. We released stuff. It was great, but not, you know, it was okay. Actually, it was okay to good, uh, not great. Uh, you customers complain, everything like that, but there was no reviews. We, we, we always made sure once you have it basically dialed in, boom. Then you go ahead and add those reviews because it, it, that's where the word of mouth comes in. The average customer, you could tell them anything. You know, people, people nowadays, uh, especially with the, you know, the political climate, the news, et cetera, don't believe anything unless it's like even real, even reviews that we, we still get people like, mm-hmm. oh, it's not literally says verified, man. But it gives them that, uh, 
extra confidence from other people. Nobody wants to listen to a review. Nobody tries to uh, trust IGN, CNN. Half the people know that it's just a, a paid for ad. You know what I'm saying? So the real core of early adopters, especially, uh, you know, a lot of things that we talk about, Robert and I, is mainly, I guess you can say tech-based, you know, uh, arts, clothing, that's all different. But anything that is more tech-related, more that, like, can be compared to with, like, specific, you know, stats for a, for a machine or whatever. Like, like specs you know, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, those things, um, it, it just better when, when real customers review. Got it. So was this just the, off the back of setting these automated emails out or were you, cause I've seen other stores do things like they offer a discount code or something for if someone writes a review, were there any other ways that you've been able to, uh, com- to, to encourage, uh, past customers to come to the site and write a review? Uh, yeah, we give them a, we give a, Five dollar coupon code if they write a review. I ha, yeah have uh, five dollars off coupon code. Ten dollars off if they go ahead and share that review on social media that they wrote. Uh, and then we also have our source re- source rewards loyalty program, which is phenomenal and you know the best one in the industry. But we go ahead and give customers just a thousand points just for signing up, which gives them you know free shipping, maybe ten ten dollars off I think on their first order or twenty percent off. Uh, but then they go, they can go ahead and just amass, uh, and they, they can get points just by referring friends. Uh, and then they can also go all the way to get 50% off or a hundred dollars off on our store. So we, we get a lot of customers that just on that, they prefer to just purchase our, our stuff and tell other customers because then they go and go ahead and just save money as they spend it. People like to, you, you basically get like a gamification mm-hmm. by becoming Got it. Now, where are where? How are people finding out about your your products? I can understand the distributors getting it out into the retail retail stores, so people are seeing it as they're going shopping. But for your online only customers, how are you able to to reach them? Uh, we do a lot of social media, um, a lot of uh, email advertising. But one of the things that's been most successful, uh, you know, uh, CPC, you know, cost per click. Uh, and some advertisements is good mainly because our market is so, uh, niche. Uh, you know, there's niche, uh, advertising networks because we have to be 18 plus. So like Mantis, uh, if we were doing Google AdSense, I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't tell you if that's better because it's such mm-hmm. a broad, but Mantis, all of these things that are very, uh, niche, it's easier to advertise. Like if you advertise on high times, you know, the market that's coming. But I think the best ROI, best return on investment we've got is influencers, especially YouTube influencers. YouTube influencers to go ahead and just use the product, give your honest review. And sometimes we even have to tell them, like, tell me something wrong about it. Tell me what's great, but give an honest review. Because a lot of companies uh, will just basically say, hey, review this and tell them, like, you know, go ahead and say this and act like it's the best thing on earth. And then the customers will see through the lie. Mm-hmm. So you go ahead and just give them an honest review and say, this product does this. It's great. It's amazing. But it's not perfect. That's when you get the most brand loyalty. And that's been the best thing we've done to find people is YouTube influencers that just give honest and real reviews. Got it. So you almost want the the uh, influencers to be a bit 
critical because it makes it or not makes it, but it shows that it's an honest review that's not biased or that's not uh, forced onto them with a script. Yes. And you know how uh, we said earlier how we're very flexible. Um, This goes with it because I tell them, if you tell me what's wrong, we go ahead and fix it. (laughs) So we're not like those companies that when they tell you like, oh, this is horrible. It overheats or something. They go ahead and try to hide the review. Like someone said, you know, this could be better if they did it. Next iteration, we literally fixed it. We try to fix it ASAP as soon as possible by either having something extra the customer can purchase or by the next revision, we already have that upgrade. So basically by the next time, because here, here, here's the thing too, it doesn't just make it real, but if it's something that could be fixed by the next iteration, uh, by the time the next one comes in and the same person reviews it, you basically already said, hey, remember how this was great? We made it even better because we fixed that one thing they complained about. Guys, so do you try to go back to influencers that might have given you some constructive criticism? You've gone back and proved the product, and then you try to come back to them, ask them to review it again? Always, always. And, and, and to be honest, uh, the reviewers that just say everybody's special and perfect, those are the ones we, we, we pay less attention to. Obviously, the ones, you know, end of the day, most views, most viral, those, that's what matters. But the ones that realistically have rankings, have uh, a point system that are that, mm-hmm. that is honest and legit, those are the best value because it, it, it does give you a, a point to compete with. You know, it, it gives you a, a finish line and say, OK, this is my this is what's wrong. These are what my competitors are doing that I have to beat. And then that's that's how you, that that's why we have so many products. Because like I said, when we see something going on and something from another company is, 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 is successful, I try every co- competitor's products. So when I try something and I like it, how can I take this and bring it to mine? You know, basically, again, with everything we do, we think of the iPhone. You know, you, you look at the Galaxy, it has something good. Next thing you know, the iPhone has it, but then. Mm-hmm. So anything we do like that, we try and incorporate it. Got it. So you look for reviewers on YouTube that are critical, that are taking reviews seriously by having some kind of point system or, or some, some actual uh, quantitative way to, to assess the products. So other than looking for that type of uh, content, are there other things that you look at to decide what kind of reviewers to look at? Are there any tools or specific data that, that you reference to determine if it's an influencer that you want to work with? No, you know, we mainly look at their views, look at the comments to make sure that they're legit. Uh, you know, that the views match the comments. We look at the interaction because uh, some of them just have YouTube. Some of them just have Instagram, uh, like a l- large following there. Uh, we, w- we always want to make sure that they, uh, they, they also match with our brand. Obviously, you don't want someone that doesn't, you know, match the branding you're trying to give. Um, review your products but that's basically it and a lot of it is just uh it's just a hunch you know sometimes you see uh you'll find a reviewer that or an influencer who i i we always try to call them a diamond in the rough it's very easy it's the easiest thing is to find the reviewers at the very top and and obviously everyone knows influencers and reviewers will start you know charging basically for their time which is perfectly fine a lot of people complain saying that it's like you're buying a review but then if you actually did it yourself and did review products, you'd figure out it takes so long. Mm-hmm. You're basically just compensating for the time. But it's really easy to get the top ones. You really want to try to find 
somebody who's going to be on the come up, basically, kind of like a like an emerging artist. And we do that sometimes. We'll find someone who's got like maybe a couple thousand views, but the quality of their video or whatever they do is so good that it's worth it to stick out with them. They're free or cheap. But on top of that, during their growth, you became a really good partner with them and and you helped them grow because you were the bigger partner. So now you have kind of relationships. So I used to do kind of music like with DJs. So that's kind of what, what, what we also have in mind, too, when we look for influencers. It's kind of like you're trying to find a bunch of small influencers. You 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 cast a wide net. You have a bunch of them try out and hopefully a few of them will turn into, quote unquote, influence superstars. And now you basically, you are their biggest part. A good way to find people that want to review your type of product is search competing products that are reviewed. So pretty much search competing yeah. product title review, and you'll find on YouTube that are searching people that are doing similar ones. And then when you find the reviewers, take a look at their view count, look at the subscriber count, and make sure that the view count looks fairly realistic compared to the likes and dislikes and comments. And if those line up, then you know it's more likely it's real. There are some reviewers out there that just buy themselves a bunch of views and ends up not getting the type of impact you're looking for, but make sure those ratios are correct and, and you'll find good reviewers. Got it. So YouTube has been known as one of the platforms that have had the most, maybe the, this is too friendly of a word, but most critical commenters, right, on the videos more than any other platforms. Do you experience this in the reviews? You know, people that are coming in, of course, they're anonymous and dropping comments that aren't helpful in, in any way? Yeah, it ha- you know, it happens all the time. Uh, Again, not not to drop a lot of rules, but uh, uh, you know, we always um, the internet rule that they have is a one nine ninety rule. I don't know if you guys know, which is ninety percent of the internet is just lurkers, mm-hmm. uh, people read, interact, but don't actually do anything. Nine percent of them basically comment once or twice uh, here and there in forums. Obviously, social media is different, but then only one percent, literally, of the people that go on average into a forum, et cetera, are the ones that comment. So one of the things that ends up happening is you will end up selling a thousand products and you got 10 people mad. And out of those 10 people, three of them basically did it themselves. And no matter what you do, they're not going to be happy. Guess what? Mm. Those three people in your videos that have five comments, boom, 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 boom. So what can you do? Um, you know, we, we've we've actually learned that the best thing to do is just just make sure customers always happy. Even if sometimes you lose more money, it's you end up losing more money by having a customer irate and turn around and giving you a bad Yelp review about something costs more money in the long run than just letting it go. It really sucks. It's 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 uh it's a little bit like being held hostage sometimes, especially you know the bigger you are. Uh, and the more comments or something, and it can just wade into the bottom, you can start ignoring them. But the smaller you are, you just, they, you know, they, they always kind of have you hostage. You get that email that says, you know, nobody cares about the, you know, calling the B- Better Business Bureau. But if they turn around and said, I'm going to make a YouTube video of your product and I'm going to say it's garbage if you don't refund my money, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of just <laughs> stuck between a, you know, rock and a hard place. You might, you know, have, be in the right, according to you. But it's a pirate victory if at the end of the day you end up losing out. So sometimes you just have to give them whatever you want, especially if it's a, a something that somebody you can you can figure out what their problem is, even if it's just giving them their money back and you lost money on that whole deal because you gave them the free product. 
who cares? It's going to cost way more money to try to fix it later. Yeah, if you're just if you just have two people that are turned off to buy just from that one comment, that two people for most products is already going to be cost you more than whatever it is replacing 100% or refunding that person. Got it. So it, you might lose that money on that one individual, but you might be able to recover the the cost of uh, everyone else that might might see it that might not that might not might be turned off by. So certainly invest the time and, and, and money into making sure the customer is always happy. It makes a lot of sense. So where do you guys want to see uh, the business go next? Where do you want to take the business next? Uh, you know we're uh, we're we're waiting for uh, to see how the the market's growing. Uh, there's a, there's a, you know, since we are in a, a more controlled market, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for FDA, uh, you know, approval, legislation, regulations. So, uh, we're, we're, we're hoping for not too much government regulation, but enough to protect, uh, you know, users and customers from, uh, lower quality branding. But other than that, uh, we're really excited just for growth itself. And, uh, you know, maybe later on, uh, which I, 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 I think is most entrepreneurs uh, goal is uh, maybe sell a portion of it uh, or have a f- clear exit. Uh, once we grow it enough with another um, strategic partner, we can hopefully later find a little later on find out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Carlos and Roberts with sourcebapes.com again is a website. Thank you so much for coming on guys. Thank you Thank so you. much, man. Thank you. Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. I own the buy box for, for iPhones and Samsungs. Um, so I was getting a lot of sales. So it would be like uh, 10 to 20 sales a day. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com blog.